Blog Talk Radio. Grassroots Holistic Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, your host, Barbara Tahuti, Wesley Gray, speaking to you live from New York City, Monday evening, the 5th of May, 2014, at 9 p.m. It's really, again, a pleasure to have you join us. And as always, before I begin, I pay homage to the One Most High God, to our ancestors, to my family, my lovely wife and mother-in-law, daughter and her family, my godchildren, my godsons, and the host of friends and family throughout the cyber world and the social network community. Again, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Namaste, peace, love, and blessings to all of you. We're going to continue this evening with reviewing uh, the book that we left off on Saturday. We had a very exciting evening last night interviewing Dr. Chris Sawpaw, and uh, please stay tuned, and uh, I will uh, post when we are going to have him on again, which should be within a couple of weeks, Um, and we look forward to continuing the discussion that he was sharing with us in terms of uh, the spring cleaning ritual that we're trying to establish for every solstice and every changing of the seasons, and of course, throughout the year. Uh, and that's my, mind, body, and spirit in terms of cleansing and rejuvenation. But this evening we're reviewing the book titled The Healing Wisdom of Africa, Finding Life's Purpose Through Nature, Ritual, and Community, authored by Dr. Maladoma Patrice Somme. And uh, this evening we'll, we will be reviewing the section of the book that concentrates on youth, ages, youth and aging, rather, and the elders. And um, let's begin by indulging ourselves with the chapter that's titled Elders and Community. 
before I begin, though, I just wanted to share some thoughts that the Spirit has um, inspired me to think of and and to give consideration. And that being with myself and my wife having a home here in uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, we're very much aware and very sensitive to the fact that we have an epidemic within our various communities, uh, within the villages within New York City, and throughout the African diaspora. And that is the dilemma of our youth who do not have any, uh, uh, many, enough, many of our youth who do not have substantial support in their growth and, and giving direction in terms of how to traverse the, uh, the journey of being a child uh, to becoming a teenager to a young adult and hopefully a productive young uh, a, a, a citizen of their community. And part of that reason is because we have children raising children. And even adults, I became aware a few years ago when I started uh, taking workshops and studying. Uh, I even worked at a interface uh, at a hospital called Interface Medical Center here in Brooklyn, New York. And I was working with uh, with patients who were uh, mentally ill and who were prescribed psychotropic medication, and uh, they were unfortunately uh, not attended to in terms of their treatment in-house, but given lead way to live outside of the institution um, and, and not really able to be attended to on a um, ongoing basis. So a lot of these patients would uh, deviate or stop taking their medication, their psycho psychotropic medication, and would try to substitute uh, other uh, drugs, which uh, some legal, such as alcohol, and some that was illegal, such as heroin and, and cocaine, marijuana, and a host of other illegal drugs. So they were attempting to self-medicate. And I guess you might want to wonder where am I going with this. And I just wanted to just emphasize that um, we have many of us in our community who self-medicate, uh, even self-medicating with food and sex and drugs and gambling, just a host of things that one can medicate with in terms of uh, uh, being able to alleviate the pain uh, the spiritual, emotional, and physical pain, as it were, but mainly spiritual and emotional and mental. Uh, so we have a dilemma in terms of the youth not being able to relate to uh, an adult who might, may be chronologically an, an adult, but emotionally and psychologically their IQ is very low. And this is a lot of this is because of the the social uh, uh, structures that we find ourselves in in certain communities here in the Western Hemisphere, and I guess throughout the world, throughout the, especially the African diaspora, where we're the low, lowest on the totem pole, or the lowest on the on the uh, the ladder of success, as it were, because of lack of education and and lack of opportunity as a result of that education, and of course racism and classism and sexism. 
So given all that, we, we have a proclivity to embrace the mores and the customs and the culture of the ruling class or so-called ruling class, uh, the dominant class, as it were, who are controlling. And that's people who come from a European uh, descent uh, and usually uh, are Caucasian. Of course, we have those who are even of African descent but who have embraced these customs and these cultures so uh, uh, completely that they're imbued with a... a a, um, a prism, a tunnel vision, as it, as it were, of absorbing and embracing the meism syndrome, that I'm number one. And of course, that's not the way that uh, our ancestors lived. And in some parts of Africa, even currently today, we're not living that, that way, that we are still perpetuating the traditions, even though a lot of the youth and young adults are becoming, uh, are embracing the social mores uh, of capitalism and commercialism, and they're um, leaving the, the proven health traditions of their community behind. And of course, we have a dilemma in which almost over 200 young girls were uh, captured by uh, uh, a group of men who believe that women are not, and girls specifically, should not be educated, that their only purpose in life is to marry and to bear children and to be subservient to men. So, you know, we, my prayers are out to the parents and the families of these young girls, and we have that dilemma happening here at our doorstep here in uh, the United States and major cities such as New York City. They might not have been captured uh, violently, such as the ones in, in, in Africa, in Nigeria. But uh, even though that has happened, it is happening to, as I speak, that girls are missing in our community here in uh, cities like New York City, where they're um, kidnapped and, and raped and abused and so forth. But these particular girls in Nigeria were captured to be sold into into bondage slash into marriage by men who are just unsavory and and really don't deserve to be called men. So all that to say that indeed we have to go back, Sankofa, we have to go back to those traditions on various levels. And that's regardless of your religious orientation, your spiritual uh, journey, that we need to do whatever we can individually and then amongst each other to inspire those in our immediate circle and our circle of influence to embrace what we can hear on shows like my, the one that, I'm, um, that I host and the books that are available and meetings and workshops that, that, that occur, that we need to not uh, waste time and, and not be nonchalant, that we, we have a crisis. And each one, reach one, teach one is my motto. And uh, I indeed, you know, humbly hope that I can continue to be a facilitator uh, for this knowledge and for this inspiration and for the charge, as it were, the marching orders to uh, be a drum major 
for the cause of our children, our elders, and our overall community. So let's begin with uh, Chapter 6 of The Healing Wisdom of Africa. Uh, Dr. Maladoma goes on to state that the, uh, uh, no matter what culture you belong to, certain personal situations and social relationships are inescapable. For example, common to everyone is the recurrent feeling of needing to expand and to grow. And similarly, you cannot help a certain, at certain points in your life feeling the need for the emotional as well as the psychological and social support of others. Everyone needs to come into some kind of visibility, some sort of recognition, and just as these experiments establish the need for a mentor, they also establish the need for elders. Where a mentor invites the genius of a youth to come out of his of its hiding, an elder blesses the genius, thereby allowing it to serve efficiently the greater good. So we will be talking about two kinds of elders in this chapter, uh, and, and that's, number one, the elder in the formal sense of the village, uh, of a village or a community leader who helps community members coexist peacefully, and then elders in the informal sense of people whose age makes them invaluable resources in community life. Youth and age, in the West, where tremendous energy is invested in the maintenance of youth, to be young means to be vital, attractive, desirable, and at peak performance. And consequently, youth has inspired a huge profitable industry servicing people's desire for health and for popular images of beauty. While some people peek into mirrors, scanning for unwanted resonance of age to mask out Others expand tremendous amounts of energy on Nordic tracks and threat mills, covering great distances in the same place, and they want to keep in shape, to feel youthful energy, to be strong. And given the commonly believed views about youth and age, these efforts are worth the investment. However, in African tribal societies in general, and among the Dagara in particular, Young means that which is still moist, which means to be dried and curried in order to last. The young is raw and untested. Its exuberance, beauty, it, its exuberance and beauty and desirability conceal instability. Its attractiveness is systematic of the proximity of the spirit wall. Thus, to indigenous people, desiring youth is tantamount to desiring the other world. But the presence of the other world in this world makes it extremely vulnerable. Therefore, beauty is synonymous with fragility and as such needs to be abhorred and helped and anchored and granted the right to solidify. When a person embodies natural beauty, this beauty must be enshrined and protected from utter destruction by the forces of evil. The attractiveness of youth is to indigenous people is first and foremost a call for assistance, the kind of support without which the youth cannot blossom into maturity. The full blossoming out of youth requires taking risk. It demands that one be safe enough to respond to the urge for growth. 
then safety comes from the hands of older generations. And this is where young and old intersect. Here, old means someone who is dry, solid, lasting. Thus, the old and the elders embody stability, dependability, and vision, and wisdom. And in this capacity, they become a frame of reference, a resource, a research center. In wisdom, Maladoma states, I am trying to point out here for Westerners is, 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 is obvious. The wisdom that I'm trying to point out is that I'm trying to say that a retirement house is the wrong place for old people to be. While they are there waiting for their end, the entire society loses a great opportunity, the opportunity to be anchored and thus blessed. The young ones miss having an emotional and an even sacred support for doing their work in the world, and the old ones are bored. It is deeply unfortunate if change and progress takes place at the expense of elders by robbing them of their legitimate right to connect with their families. To indigenous people, the West's treatment of its elders looks like a production line view of progress. People become agents of production only, confined eventually to some institution when they can no longer produce. It appears that in the West, old age is feared because of loss of power, but also because it shows our proximity to the other world, the unknown and the unpredictable. Lack of predictability and control brings into focus the unavoidable frailty of the human condition. Because modern life is characterized by control, old age has become a negative. It is as if by staying young, one can remain distracted enough to forget the painful matter of one's fleeting existence. When there is the value of progress, if it can't be if it can't assure that people in their old age benefit not just from a retirement plan, but more importantly from an emotional plan that connects them more deeply to their communities, their children, and grandchildren. For most traditional African cultures, an elder is one whom the village acknowledges as having reached not only a state of old age, but also a state of maturity and wisdom. Elders are repositories of tribal knowledge and life experience, essential resources for the survival of the village, anchoring it firmly to the living foundation of tradition. The old and the elder are the most revered members of the village community and its greatest preservers and nurturers. It is natural that everyone should be attracted by age to becoming old. I would like to pause for a minute. For those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, and those uh, particularly who are listening uh, on the show and just learned about Maladoma and would like to know who he is, I ne neglected to mention that at the start of the show. I just want to share with you that uh, Maladoma Patrisoma is from Pakuna Fessa, which is formerly known as the Upper Volta in West Africa. And uh, Maladoma, in his native language, it means to be friends with the stranger. He's a gifted diviner and medicine man of the Dagara tribe, also known as a shaman, 
and he holds three master degrees and two doctorates from the Chauvin and Brandes. His book of Water and the Spirit, Magic, Ritual, and Initiation in the Life of an African Shaman is treasured around the world. And Maladoma, who conducts intensive workshops with his wife, his ex-wife, actually he formerly did, uh, divides his time between his home in Oakland, California, Europe, and other nations of Africa. And I'm very uh, humbled to say that, and, 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 and proud of the fact that indeed I had the privilege of meeting Maladoma a few times, and the last time that I was in, he was in our presence was he was a guest at my wife and I. Uh, he spent five days with us as a guest at our home, and it was quite an experience. Um, we're looking forward to taking workshops with them and, and uh, really learning as much as possible about the tradition of his, uh, of his village. And we have uh, been honored with being embraced by the elders uh, as a member of the, of the family and village of the Dagara. So uh, I have a special place in my heart when I share with you uh, the wisdom uh, that he uh, is able to give and, and share with us through his writings, such as the healing wisdom of, of Africa. So as I mentioned a short while ago, that uh, the elder is described by Maladoma and the people of his village as being a very important uh, uh, person within the community. And the elder is as important to the community as the newborn, and that they both share a proximity with the other world, that being the ancestors' world. The newborn just arrives from there, and the old one, the elder, is preparing to go there. So the very young and the very old complement each other because they draw from one another. The very old honor youth as the source of collective physical stability and strength and as a recent arrival to this world, who are more closely connected to the ancestors as a result of that. Because of the unique relationship of the very young and the very old among the Dagara, the Lobi, the Fawn, and many other communities in West Africa, you will sometimes hear an elder calling a child grandpa or grandma. The elder is showing deep respect for the young one, attributing the benefits of age to that young person. Tradition is the way of the ancestors, the matter in which those who lived before once walked and talked, the knowledge and the practices that allowed them to live long enough to bestow life upon others. In indigenous culture, this is crucial to life, because to forget the way life used to be lived is to become endangered. In my village, Maladoma goes on to state that, for example, there is a very practical, intrinsic belief that in earlier times everything was good and everything will remain so as long as ancient ways are allowed to survive in everyday life. Things have changed as a result of Western encroachment. At the core of these changes is a distancing from the past and a fascination with the future. Many people who are taught modern ways have embraced these ways fully and completely, except that they could not change the color of their skin. Post-colonial Africa 
is full of what critics call the acculturated. But in the traditional view, to look to the old ways is to avoid death. The argument is that our ancestors lived thousands of years under conditions that today would be considered extremely harsh and unbearable. In honor of their wisdom, we feel a sacred approach to and reverence for tradition, even when its dictates are not fully understood. The origin of and the need for myth are rooted in this because it provides a worldview a series of customs that are useful in defining the identity of a society. People don't read the Brothers Grum and Arabian Nights or the Nagbegula in order to collect evidence of how backward or irrelevant these stories are to the present. They read them because these stories feed something deep in them, evidence that the past is far from obsolete. Perhaps the respect owed to the elder derives from the perception that the elder is at this critical junction where the natural meets the supernatural, where the ancestors and the divine intersect with the humans. In indigenous African context, this is a place of great freedom and great responsibility. In effect, the elder is almost the only one in the village who can have things his way. But more important, the elder's posture is rooted in his intimate connection to the balance between this life and the other world, without which village life is a nightmare. The Gara people have made up their minds that they can't live without elders. They know well enough that in the absence of the elders, the container of cultural wholeness breaks and social chaos arises. Indigenous belief in this is so strong that tribal communities cannot understand how cultures can thrive without elders. The same way that a modern person would have a hard time imagining a life without electricity and running water. At this time, I'm going to take a break. We will continue in discussing the profile of an, of an elder as described by Dr. Malodome Somme. So please stay with us and stay tuned. And that drink is called Chia Vida. 
It is a unique blend of premium exotic fruits and botanicals like acai berry. It is called the wine of the Amazon and yerba mate tea, which is like a green tea. And that's called the beverage of the gods from the Brazilian rainforest, which is the national drink of four South American countries. This drink is designed to enhance whole body wellness, to bolster the immune system, to quickly increase energy, and to support weight management by boosting metabolism and controlling appetite, and it assists in leveling one's blood sugar, just to mention a few of its benefits. Within minutes of drinking just one to two ounces, Chia Vida delivers a surge of smooth, sustained energy that lasts for hours, not minutes. Along with greater clarity and focus and a feeling of calmness and well-being, this is an energy surge without the sugar rush, without the jitters, and without the crash and burn harmful side effects of many products that produce um, similar results. Chia Vida is an all-natural, delicious, functional health beverage that most people feel results with the very first time they try it. And subsequently, they want to drink it over and over again. Even though people consistently drink for the immediate benefits, the amazing thing is that the longer someone drinks Chia Vida, the more improvement they notice in their overall health. For more information, please go to healthisalwayswealth.com. That's healthisalwayswealth.com. Or you can call 888-338-2508. Wow, that sounds intense to me as well. 
Now, Maladoma goes on to state that I know that what the old wish well is certain to be well in the long run. At the opposite end of blessing is cursing. And he goes on to state, quote, There will be holes every time your foot touches the ground, and a rock will eat your toenails before your feet carry them into the hole. Beware, traveler. The evil forces will notice you more than the forces of fortune. The line of misfortune will prepare you for dinner as you step out of this place. The sight of your eyes is already folded up and rendered useless. The moment of your prediction has arrived. Unquote. So thus, what the old do not wish well eventually collapses. Just as the elder's blessing indicates success, the elder's curse indicates a misfortune that is very draining to oppose. This is the lethal side of the elder's power, although it is almost never used. Whatever an elder says, forces in both words labor hard to make it happen. A person with this kind of power is naturally revered, feared, and respected. And as a result, there are things that he can and cannot do or say. For example, under no condition will elders be heard to shout. This would imply that they have been surprised by something. It would mean also that they are still subject to the unexpected, and that is not characteristic of an elder. An elder cannot indulge in such common social pleasure as drinking alcohol and being drunk. This would imply that there is still a part in them that is moist and searching for growth and expansion. An elder cannot be found in places where motion is fast and excited. These are places for youth. In truth, the position of elder is so awesome that the, the line between elder is sacred is very thin. It's a very thin line. So mastering the powers of an elder is a process that takes slowly over years at the harsh school of life where the storms of trials and tribulations of pain and suffering solidify and make sacred the mind, body, and soul of the person. When a person like this speaks, it is as if the other world is speaking. The pull to listen is natural to one who is familiar with the sound of spirit. This is also why elders are more accountable than anyone else in the village. But this accountability is even greater in the other world than in the world in this world because every day brings the elder closer to the world of spirit and thus more distant from this world. And hence, this sense of increased sacredness associated with the voice of an elder. The pull to the other world also explains the gradual distaste an elder develops for involvement in the ordinary world. The gender of the elder is important in maintaining the stability of the social community. Female elders, though they may have the same qualities as male elders, are often more in demand because of their role as containers and as reconcilers. In the village, everyone knows that a female elder is less likely to curse than a male elder. Moreover, it takes a female elder to undo a curse inflicted on someone by a male elder. No one can undo the curse of a female elder. If two people are involved 
in an argument and a female elder shows up, they will stop before being ordered to do so. And I, I had the wherewithal of even asking um, Maladoma, um, that was on the show that we had back in uh, 2000 and, 2010, uh, I think October of 2010, and I told him that I read, in the first book I read by him, Of Water and the Spirit, how uh, he shares in the book that when the man and woman, husband and wife, have a disagreement, that they go up to the top of a hill, and not just in his village, but other villages, primarily in West Africa, this tradition uh, is followed, and they sit back to back, and they sh uh, share with each other what ails them, what, what's, what's, what their disagreements are towards one another, and go through this sense of uh, uh, this primal scream, I guess you can best describe it, and this uh, catharsis of this venting and getting everything out in the open and out in the air. And uh, it's done in a way which is, I guess, to some degree respectful and loving because uh, after that's done, they make up, you know, they, they resolve the conflict. And, of course, those in the village are able to hear this. So now that I'm reading what I just shared with you, the fact that if uh, you had two individuals who were married, husband and wife, having a, uh, an argument, a disagreement, that this, the moment a female elder comes into their presence, that they will stop immediately and um, without being ordered to do so by the female elder. That's an interesting piece there. Um, in our community here in the West Hemisphere, primarily, particularly here in New York City, uh, where most of my experience has been as a, as a young man and, and growing up into and, and becoming a, a, an elder, it was somewhat uh, uh, almost like a, a show to see two individuals who uh, were uh, in a relationship to argue with one another. You didn't want them to get into a violent state of physical harm towards one another, but there seemed to be some type of enjoyment uh, that was not unhealthy to see these people argue, not uh, wanting them to, uh, to resolve the argument in a, in a fashion that was uh, uh, of peace and love, but to just want to gossip and, and want to be a spectator and to see how far and how long it could go. Uh, those are unhealthy uh, um, activities. And it is my hope that we will be able to, those of us who are young adults, growing into older adults and in, indeed elders, that we can somehow find it in our hearts to embrace what our ancestors have proven to be a successful way of living within our community, living within our families, and of course living within ourselves um, as human beings that are uh, uh, dealing with the higher self of, of life. And so, anyway, that's my prayer. So he goes on to state that uh, the, the elders, like the ancestors, are expected to identify and address what is not working in the village, not to give compliments and praise behavior. And this they share with mentors 
the job of executing tasks forwarded to them by ancestors. In the previous chapter, Malagomas states that we presented the mentor as a person responsible for inviting the genius out of a person. And once this genius is released, it requires maintenance, subsidence, and growth. And this is where the job of the elder begins. The elder holds the space within which the gift operates and encourages it with blessings and with silent nods. And therefore, the mentor compliments the elder. And the elder, to some degree, without both, the genius that is coming to birth in the community would have a hard time facing the storms of life. Thus, elders do not express energy. They hold it. And when they speak, everybody listens. They often don't speak directly to the person whose situation they are addressing. They don't even name the person. They speak in general terms, but the village knows to whom they refer. For example, when, um, when, when my grandfather watched people overeating, he would say something like, when someone eats too much, they are sure to experience great pain when they come to initiation. And um, I just want to take a pause. I, we have someone in the chat room. Uh, John Slim, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And yes, indeed, looking forward to uh, visiting, as always, in the future. When someone eats too much, they are sure to experience great pain when they come to initiation. And that's what the elder, uh, actually what Maldoma's grandfather watched, would say when he watched people overeating. Food is not readily available in the indigenous Africa. There are no supermarkets or restaurants, so being hungry is common, and overeating or sometimes even eating enough is seen as destructive to the community. Wow, that's deep. Here in, in uh, the West, Hemisphere and the United States and the big cities such as New York City, um, we have a, an epidemic of obesity. We have uh, people who, uh, for the most part, in our, immune, in our communities, who may be unemployed or underemployed, uh, some even receiving um, um, public subsidence in terms of food stamps and and you know tokens of uh, of the community through taxes that are being paid, and they're being taken care of. However, because they're self-medicating through food and, and alcohol and other drugs and, and um, sex and gambling, but let's just go back to food here. We, we have people who are overweight. So if they were living in Maladoma's uh, community, in, in his village, they would be considered as to be living a life of sin, because, and this is not systemic within the village of, that Maladoma lives in, but throughout the world, um, you know, the population of the world is something like 7 billion. Well, indeed, uh, the majority of the people of the world, majority of that 7 billion uh, are, are, are not eating an outstanding a sufficient diet, do not have uh, enough food to eat um, through the course of their everyday life. Um, my wife and I saw uh, a few years ago 
I think it might have been on Facebook or one of the social media, someone that published uh, an article and with, it was mostly pictures and depicting how a, a family in an African country or a family in India or the Far East, um, one plate that the average person would eat here in, in uh, the United States who is um, doing reasonably well um, in terms of being able to, even if they're unemployed, if they're getting food stamps, they're able to buy enough food so that they could cover the, the whole uh, uh, circumference of a plate um, that's measuring, say, about uh, eight inches, okay? And there isn't any space left on the plate. There's food, there's vegetables, and more so meat, I guess, uh, being that uh, my wife and I both are vegetarians, but the majority of people in our society are meat eaters. Um, and then you have, you know, your your starch, your potatoes and rice and your greens, hopefully, you know, as much greens as possible. And that one plate in some parts of the world would actually feed a family of four. And in some cases, that family of four, that's the only meal that they have for the day. One plate that we use as a meal of one of the three meals that we have uh, each day. So, you know, this is something that, to say about how Mano Doma describes in his book, this book, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, that when someone eats too much, they are not to experience great pain when they come into the initiation is what his grandfather would, would tell him as a way of saying, you're eating too much. And by that he says that he meant that food is not readily available in the indigenous communities of Africa. There are no supermarkets or restaurants, and I'll just add in no fast food chains, which give specials, such for hamburgers and french fries, which are found out that are really not uh, you know, they, they're uh, manufactured uh, uh, they're with the antibiotics and genetically altered. They're not really pure potatoes. The meat is not pure beef, you know. It's waste, waste matter and so forth. And we are feeding this to ourselves within our various communities. So... That does not allow for proper development. That doesn't allow for proper elevation in dealing with living in the higher self uh, orientation. You're dealing with lower self, you know. And um, just go on just to share more about what Manodomus shares about this observation. He goes on to state that elders are also involved in the writings of wrongs. For instance, the breaking of an ancestral law. And the culture of the Mossi, the Dogen, the Lobi, the Katsina, the Bobo, and others, when someone does something wrong, it is ultimately the ancestors that they offend. For example, when a child acts, acts disrespectfully to its parents, this child is showing disrespect to the ancestors. Eventually, children will have to make their misdeeds right with the ancestors before anything else can go forward. It is like paying a fine. It takes the form of an offering at the altar of the ancestors after confessing one's evil doings. 
saying one is wrong and sorry cleans the path for the offering to work. A, an elder who witnesses an offense against authority, for instance, the ancestors will first talk about it in general terms in order to draw the person who did it for it to begin reparation. Even though his name has not been mentioned, the elder would say something like, I wonder why someone would deliberately want to put himself in increasing debt. The reason for his indirectness is linked to a rather peculiar understanding of shame and the effect of shaming. Shame is seen in Dagara culture as a collapsing emotional, emotional force that paralyzes the self, and therefore, like grief, shame should be experienced only in a sacred ceremonial context. In the context of ritual and sacred space, the expedient sinner is said to be more capable of deep, deep humility than in an ordinary context. When suffered in daily life, shame compresses the psyche dangerously. The result is that one experiences crippling rejection, obstetrician, uh, and one's self-esteem is almost completely exterminated. In Dagara context, this is comparable to death. Shame, like grief, is a powerful emotion. But unlike grief, which emanates from loss, shame arises from a sense of guilt, embarrassment, and unworthiness, and disgrace. Shaming is counterproductive. A person in power and responsibility who uses it exposes himself and the other to danger. Distrust, suspicion, and discord are the offspring of shame and attacks and attracts rather against self-esteem. Therefore, shaming someone is a way of making that person accountable without the sacred endangers of the whole community. The heaviness of the shamed person will in the long run and in subtle ways affect everyone and everything. In order to heal these embarrassments, one must experience them within the context of ritual in order to prevent them from destroying self-esteem and dangerously affecting the community. And when an indigenous elder speaks about a shameful act indirectly, no individual feels singled out. All can participate in recognizing that they have done something shameful. There is no public shaming, strictly speaking, but there is a threat of shame if the person does not act immediately by seeking the help of an elder or a healer in order to begin making amends. Accountability in the form of punishment is debilitating. It encounters concealment, secrecy, and even distortion of reality. It is no wonder that people who are threatened with shaming punishment will try to conceal their deed in such an urge to indigenous people would be legitimate, for it would show a desire to protect the self from annihilation. Accountability, defined as a deepening of relationship by contrast, becomes a productive example in service of the greater whole. For example, when someone causes hurt to someone else, correction rather than punishment is in order. The wrongdoer makes things right by deepening the relationship with the person hurt, maintaining it for the rest of one's life.
Mm. So it seems as if we uh, have in our society, in the Western society, the way of shaming someone who does wrongdoing is by taking them to court, uh, by um, giving them a, a, a trial and, and a sentence, and then they're taking and sent to jail and to prison, and that supposedly is supposed to in, 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 in incorporate or uh, bring about some type of rehabilitative uh, aspect in the person who's been found guilty for committing an offense to the community. Where just the contrary, so within uh, the village of Maladomas and other uh, villages within his proximity of West Africa, that it is the elder who uh, is called upon and acts, acts as a conduit with the ancestors. And of course, the spiritual piece is so significantly connected, which brings me to the fact that uh, I'm an African drummer. I also play jazz drums, but particularly I'm, I'm, I'm an African drummer uh, more so by intent than by expertise. But I've been blessed with being charged with promoting the drum, and I'm very much aware that the drum brings on uh, a level of connectivity with the ancestors. And I think that Sankofa, the, the principle and, um, and tradition of Sankofa, that we need to inspire amongst us that every family member, every family rather, has a drum or a number of drums within the household. And that indeed the children are uh, uh, exposed to the drum. And uh, that the drum is played by a designated drummer, someone in the family, a child, a boy or girl, or even an elder, an adult, has to be charged with learning how to play the drum. And mind you, you don't have to go into any formal training just whatever rhythms comes from you, from from the Most High, from the ancestors, into your hands, that you can have a rhythm played. But it is best to learn certain basic rhythms. And one can do this by formal training face-to-face -face with a drummer. Or you can just go on a, um, a social network such as YouTube and key in how to learn to play an African drum, particularly in this case the djembe. That's uh, spelled letter D, J, E, M, B, E, the djembe. And along with that, to purchase a drum, I'm, I'm sorry, a, a book about drumming, such as the healing drum by brothers uh, Yaya Diallo and Mitchell Hall, and other books that are uh, there, uh, available, which you can go to my website at drumtochange.com and um, and purchase any books that I review, such as The Healing Wisdom of Africa, of Water and the Spirit. And I just encourage that you uh, go to my website and share the website with others in your family and, and circle of influence. That's drumsofchange.com. And if you don't have a drum, please go there to consider purchasing a drum. They're excellently, expertly crafted. Some as low, as low as $29 per drum, including handling and shipping. I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that my wife just walked into the studio. I'd just like to welcome her and say hello. How are you doing, hon? I'm doing great. 
and uh, greetings to all of the listeners, and we appreciate your tuning in, and we appreciate your letters and your emails. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you. I love um, the book that you're reviewing by Dr. Maladoma Somme. I could listen to the review of that book over and over again. Read that book over and over again. Yes, indeed. Every time I read it or hear a review of it, I learn something new. Hmm. Because you know the scientists say that you don't really absorb what you hear the first time. You need to hear it maybe like between seven and ten times. Yes. I'm not up to seven times yet, so every time I hear you quote from the book or say something that Maladoma was discussing, I always learn something new. Yeah, same here, likewise. Likewise. That's why I had such a pleasure of reviewing books like this. Yes. Particularly this book and the other one, Of Water and the Spirit. Yes. Yeah. And as I shared with the listening audience, we have a special connection with Maladoma. Yes, of course. Always do. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we're coming closer to the end of the hour, and uh, I just want to um, share a little bit of, this, of the remaining part of this chapter, which I think will, will be very apropos and you'll find very interesting. And that is that uh, Miles Doma talks about addressing wrongdoing. Doing wrong is human, and it is with, it is with the ancestors that one never forgets that humans must make things right. And in this process, elders play a, a mediating role. It is as if they are the ancestral ear in the village, guiding obvious wrongdoers to act in a healing manner towards themselves and others. In the village, they say that a person cannot remain right for more than five days. If therefore you have not made a sacrifice to the ancestors of some kind in the past five days, it suggests that your relationship to the ancestors may not be as clear as it was five days ago. To some extent, it's like the Catholic confession, which is expected to happen every week before Mass. Maladoma goes on to say, I remember in the seminary, it was a sin not to appear at the confession on Friday evening. People would look at you as if you had not taken a bath for a whole week. In the indigenous village, some sacrifice at the altar of the ancestors must be offered. The sacrifice is given to the ancestors so that the negative energy wrapped around a person can be cleansed. And the sacrifice must be serious enough to establish the feeling that a burden has been removed and that the individual is committed to refraining from wrongdoing in the future. When a person does not sacrifice, it affects their family, their children, and the children of their children. It is not unlike some modern fundamentalist belief in the idea of damnation. When a village has not made a sacrifice, it will come up in the oracles that someone in their house is not doing things right. The head of the family will discreetly try to find out who that person is often through a diviner or a shaman following the process described in the earlier chapter. And once the wrongdoer is identified, the head of the family will then order him or her into a ritual space in the presence of the elder 
where there is no shame in admitting out loud that what went wrong and then making the necessary steps to set things right with the ancestors. The presence and non-judgmental intervention of, el- of elders makes possible this ritual cleansing. And very few people get away with wrongdoings over a lifetime. The Gara people believe that unresolved errors are passed on to surviving relatives. And this is why tradition ensures that people of every generation fulfill their duties toward the other world and leave nothing behind and undone. For example, there's a story that says that once upon a time, a young Dagara man wandered out of the village to hunt. He ran into another man from a different tribe, the Goan, where he pursued an antelope that he had shot. The Goan man was also pursuing the same animal on the grounds that he too had shot it. The truth is that the antelope had been hit by two arrows, obviously one from each. The Dagara insisted that he killed the antelope because his shot came first. The Gowan man claimed that he saw it first and therefore he must have shot it first. A fight ensued, and in the course of which the Dagara tribesman killed his opponent. He then carried his game home and shared it with his family and neighbors. It wasn't long before a strange plague hit the village. Every shaman who consulted on the issue discovered that a deep wound had been done to a stranger in the neighboring tribe. They found out who did it, but the young man was already dead, along with some members of his family. The survivors told the story as they heard it from the young man before he died. A delegation was sent out to meet the other tribe. They confessed to the killing and paid retribution in the form of crops. In addition, the two tribes became joking partners forever. This means that every time a Dagara meets a Goan, they must joke with each other as good old friends. Elders refer to such righting of wrongs as keeping the house clean for others, and thus harmony is won through cleansing and through maintaining vigilance. And this allows future generations to inherit purity instead of having to repair repair the damage that irresponsible grandparents or grand, great-parents have, uh, have neglected to fix. Love of the community for the ancestors and the elders is based on and motivated by this desire for communal purity. The elders mediate in the business of continuity, correcting individual human lives, And when the individual is called into a sacred space to right a wrong, the presence of an elder becomes the support. And usually the correction takes the form of verbally admitting and recognizing the wrongdoing. And take, for example, a woman who promised the ancestors a gift that she was given children. Eventually she becomes the mother of four. All of them grow up in in good health. But over the years, the woman has forgotten her promise. And then suddenly one of the children falls deeply ill. Every herbal medicine tried on her is not working. At last, the woman has the insight to consult the shaman, and there she learns that she had made a promise, which she then forgot about. She goes to the ancestors' shrine and pleads for mercy. Quote, she says, 
I owe, I once came to you, O great one, with a request that you bless me with fertility. At the time, I was so desperate to be a mother that I was ready to trade everything I had to be one. You helped me, but my memory was short. The blessing of motherhood effaced and replaced the memory from my promise. And all these years have gone by by watching me take for granted that I am a mother. And now my child is dying. You say it is because I did not fulfill my side of the bargain. I beseech you to forgive my inadvertence, unquote. The woman's verbal admission of her wrongdoing is similar to the act of confessing sins in Christianity. Among the Gagara, this act of contrition is custom made to suit the nature of the fault. The wrongdoer might punctuate his or her confession with metaphorical statements such as, I bumped my leg while walking, unquote, or, quote, my head was upside down, unquote, or, quote, I took the wrong road, unquote. Then, this is then followed by a statement of allegiance in which the wrongdoer reiterates his or her close connection with the ancestors, without whom family, home, or community is impossible. And then follows the appeal to the ancestors, where the wrongdoer promises never to commit such acts again and pleads with the ancestors to forgive. The purpose of the appeal is to make the ancestors realize that they too need the wrongdoer in the interest of maintaining the community. And finally, the wrongdoer presents a sacrifice or giveaway to the head of the family who presents it to the elder who then gives it to the ancestors. This complicated protocol is aimed at cleansing the destructive power of wrongdoing and preventing worse things from happening. The plea of the wrongdoer won't do anything wrong, that he won't do anything wrong again, is obviously a rhetorical statement. More often than not, the people who steal from other farms will do it again. But the human potential for recidivism is not seen as cause for ostracism as long as corrective action is taken. There is some sense in which village people look at the human being as a vulnerable spirit prone to repeated failings and fallings. The important thing is not the fall, but the ability to get up boldly upon realizing that one has fallen. We must realize here that the key thing is the giveaway, not the verbal apology. Pleading guilty and saying one is sorry, do not clear the air among the Dagara. Ancestors do not accept simple words because words are not strong enough to clear negative energy. Also, it appears that ancestors are quite aware of the extreme fallibility of humans and their refusal to accept words as a conclusion to human problems indicates their knowledge that the words are not likely to be true. The sacrifice carries with it the power to alleviate the bad energy created by the wrongdoing because it is an animal life offered. In traditional belief, the shedding of animal blood releases an energy for spirit, which then takes it as a tool to wipe out the wrong and restore harmony. It is as if death, when ritualized, 
is a clear context and contributes to life. Well, we're now at the end of the hour, and I do thank all of you in the chat room, uh, Jan Slim. I, I thank you for uh, visiting us, and I welcome you to visit us again. It's always a pleasure to have your energy shared with us. And I do uh, uh, thank all of you who listen in the archive that uh, you continue to um, access the archives and share, if you can, uh, the shows that you find to be enjoyable and beneficial and educational. And, of course, I'm learning just as you're learning and, and being empowered and, and invigorated. And, um, you know, I, I have the saying, each one, reach one, teach one. So this is a, an exchange of us coming together as a community, especially those of us of African descent throughout the African diaspora. So thank you again. Peace, love, and, and abundant blessings to all of you. Namaste. Alafia Enhotep. Hetepu. Shalom. Assalamu alaikum. All my relations, and may you continue to have a blessed and joyful and peaceful evening, and may tomorrow and the rest of the week be one of uh, blessings of, a, uh, of, uh, um, of abundance, love, and joy. So stay tuned again tomorrow while, while we continue where we left off with the healing wisdom of Africa by Dr. Mala Doma Patrice Somay.